This is Radio Health Journal. I'm Nancy Benson. This week, how gossip can sometimes be a good thing. Gossip can play a really important role in promoting cooperation and trustworthiness in groups. Why gossip can be good for society when Radio Health Journal returns. We want to keep our kids safe, especially on the road where risk is greatest. Hi, I'm Debbie Herzman, president of the National Safety Council, and this is your Safety Minute. Knowing that car crashes are the leading killer of children is scary. Fortunately, car seats can dramatically reduce the risks, but only if used properly. So remember, use a child restraint device that is appropriate for the child's weight, height, and age until a standard seat belt fits correctly. Use a rear-facing car seat at least through two years of age. And remember, little eyes are always watching. Buckle up every trip, every time. Follow these simple tips to help keep your precious cargo safe on the road. Safety Minute is brought to you by the National Safety Council and Volkswagen Group of America. Next time someone asks you, have you heard, you might think twice before you shut down that conversation. Gossip often gets a bad rap in our culture, but not all gossip is created equal, and research shows some forms of gossip can actually be good for society. We would be better off if people couldn't gossip, then nobody could slander you when you weren't around, you wouldn't hear rumors and possibly even malicious lies about people that they don't really have a chance to correct. And certainly that's the case, you know, a world without gossip would certainly be a better world. But it's a real mistake to go from that to saying that we would be better off without any kind of gossip. That's Rob Willer, sociology professor at Stanford University. He studies the effects of gossip on society. A lot of people have a pretty narrow view of gossip as just malicious, negative information said about people behind their backs. There's a lot of things that distort gossip out in the world. But we do find that nonetheless, gossip can play a really important role in promoting cooperation and trustworthiness in groups, both by making people accountable and also by helping people know who to interact with. Scientists refer to beneficial information sharing as pro-social gossip. Matthew Feinberg, formerly a postdoctoral fellow at Willer's Lab and now assistant professor of management at the University of Toronto, says that's the kind of storytelling that helps keep people in line. People who would likely be transgressors or be unfair are more likely to restrain their behavior and choose not to be so selfish because they know that they could get gossiped about and that it could result in them getting punished or ostracized from the group. So how exactly did they figure out when gossip can be good? they conducted a research study, calling people into the lab to play a computer game where Feinberg says they had a choice to make. They could act selfishly for their own benefit, or they could sacrifice for the common good. And then in one of the conditions, at least, we give them the opportunity to play it, and then after each round, they're able to gossip through the computer, through electronic notes, to the future interaction partners of one of the people they just interacted with. After future participants received information about selfish players, they often chose not to play with them. Being cut out led the selfish players to shape up and start cooperating. So that's one way, Willer says, gossip deters people from selfish behavior. There's even another way that gossip and threat of ostracism can change your behavior or can help encourage cooperation, which is that it can help you know who are the more cooperative people that you can trust more. You know, it's not just getting the people out of the group. It's not just deterring bad behavior. It also helps you select who would be the most cooperative people that you would interact with. And in this way, gossip can really help all of us get some information on the people we can rely on without having to have 
personal experiences with them necessarily. But while we can certainly do without malicious gossip, Feinberg and Willer say that a world without pro-social gossip would be a bad thing because you wouldn't as easily know who you can trust. A good example is, say you're single and you're thinking about dating somebody that you've been set up with. Now, what's the first thing that most people do? They try to find out as much information about that person prior to meeting them as possible, prior to even saying, yeah, I'll go on a date with that person. And if you didn't have that ability to glean all that information from others, then you would be entering all these different situations very blindly. And you'd have to trust people at face value, whereas with gossip, we can trust people based primarily on what we know about them from other people's experiences. At least in this study, people tended to take gossip at face value. Then again, in this context, there wasn't much reason to be suspicious. It was a game, so there was no incentive for people to spread false information. In the real world, Willer says things are a bit different. We know that out in the world, it's much more complicated than that. And people do pass on negative, malicious gossip, not just because it's true, but also because they may have ulterior motivations. They may not like someone, and that might just distort their view of the person's past behaviors or their interpretation of the person's past behaviors. People may do malicious gossip on purpose, and people may do it because they're just sort of biased in their perception of someone or have themselves received unreliable information. The Stanford findings support the notion that people are more likely to behave well if they know they'll be held accountable, which may explain why some of the worst kinds of gossip can be found on the Internet, where Willer says people are protected by anonymity. Any setting that promises you anonymity you know, is a fertile breeding ground for vindictive and malicious gossip. And I do think that's part of why a lot of people look at our research and are suspicious of it at first. They sort of say, well, it seems like most of the gossip that I consume every day, you know, or that I'm exposed to on the internet or in everyday life, it doesn't seem so reliable. It doesn't seem like it's really helping society. And they're probably right that the gossip they're thinking of doesn't. But there's a lot of other gossip that you maybe don't even see as gossip per se. That's just you talking to your friends about other people that you know and finding out who can you trust and who can you not, and how moral and reliable are the people in your groups and in your community. And I think we would all agree that that's pretty useful information to the extent that we can get it accurately. Anonymous websites are one thing, but what about reviews on websites like Angie's List or Yelp? Is that gossip? According to the broad definition used by social scientists, that's exactly what it is. Those sites, Feinberg says, are another great example of gossip done well. The Internet, in this case, has provided us an opportunity to gossip about these organizations that were spreading reputational information, both positive and negative. But I think the most important for many people is the negative, because any time uh, you plan to use the services of one of these organizations, you might go on to Yelp or one of these websites and check and see what are the terrible things or potentially terrible things they've done to other people. And if you see enough of this, you might say, well, I'm not going to use that organization. I'm essentially ostracizing them from the network of organizations I might patronize. This gave them the idea for another research study, which reveals that websites like Yelp not only give customers a lot of information, they also deter businesses from ripping people off. We ran a field experiment where we had people call up auto repair stores and ask for estimates on a transmission repair. And what we found was that the people who called auto repair shops and said at the beginning of the call that they were an avid Yelp user, they tended to be quoted better estimates for that transmission repair, suggesting that these companies were savvy. You know, they knew that you know, offering this person a good deal could get them good reviews and could get them better business. And this shows a subtle way, a less obvious way in which reputation systems like Yelp help us as customers. But if gossip has so many benefits, why do we as a society tend to look down on it? 
Feinberg says people tend to accentuate the negative forms of gossip without realizing that without gossip, there's no accountability. A world where we know that no one can pass on information about us would liberate us to not necessarily behave our best. We would be that much less restrained from behaving in an egoistic way. So while everyone knows that a person who gossips to you will also likely gossip about you, now we know that sometimes it might not be such a bad thing. Our writer-producer this week is Christine Herman. Our production director is Sean Waldron. I'm Nancy Benson. Radio Health Journal returns with medical notes in just a moment. There's a reason it's National Dental Infection Control Awareness Month. Infection control at the dentist is serious business. Your dentist takes many steps you can see and many more you can't to be sure bacteria and other germs aren't transferred to you during your visit. For example, patients may never think of saliva ejection valves, but Dr. Jerry Cohen, clinical assistant professor at a dental school in the Midwest, says they can be critical technology to prevent cross-contamination. Backflow is a serious issue in saliva ejection. It can pull liquid and potentially another patient's germs back into a person's mouth. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says backflow can occur in up to 20% of patients who close their lips around a saliva evacuator tip. Dove backflow prevention valves stop that from occurring. The new disposable Dove backflow prevention valve from Stoma Dental is a one-way valve that prevents backflow and eliminates cross-contamination between patients. It's something to be aware of during National Dental Infection Control Awareness Month. Find out more at BeSafeDental.com. As temperatures drop, are you among those who look forward to covering up unsightly bruises with sweaters and pants? Don't let your fall wardrobe be an excuse to leave bruises untreated. According to dermatologist Dr. Helen Torok, bruises happen for many reasons and may become more abundant as you age. To help correct this problem, Dr. Torok recommends incorporating Dermend Moisturizing Bruise Formula into your daily skincare regimen. Over time, skin can lose its firmness and elasticity due to a variety of factors, including medication, such as blood thinners, sun damage, heredity, or simply getting older. So building a stronger skin barrier early on is often very helpful. Dermend Moisturizing Bruise Formula contains targeted ingredients such as ceramides, retinol, arnica oil, and glycolic acid that work together to rejuvenate and help restore skin's natural barrier. Dermatologists report that it helps improve the appearance of bruises and boosts moisture and suppleness. For more information, visit Dermend.com. Medical notes this week. Twins live longer than people who are not twins, and identical twins live even longer than that. A new study in the journal PLOS1 finds that at every age, a bigger proportion of twins survive than the general population. By the time female twins reach their 60s, the advantage is as much as 10%. Scientists aren't sure why, but speculate that having a twin provides a particularly close social safety net, someone who's looking out for you, a friend to vent with, and a shoulder to cry on, the kind of social support that's known to promote health. Want to get more done at work? Stand up. That's the result of a study published in the journal IIE Transactions, on occupational ergonomics and human factors. Researchers compared employees with adjustable desks that allow them to either sit or stand to employees with normal non-adjustable desks and found a 46% increase in productivity for the employees who stood part of the time. About three quarters of these employees also reported experiencing decreased body discomfort after using the adjustable desks for six months. 
About 3 million people in the U.S. are allergic to peanuts, and for some, those allergies can be life-threatening. But a new study in the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology shows that about 80% of preschoolers with peanut allergies were able to eat peanuts normally after doctors gave them a course of oral immunotherapy. The key, researchers say, is starting the therapy before age three. Exposure to peanuts was gradually increased in the children over about two and a half years before they were tested on the amount of peanuts they might have in a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Scientists have discovered a simple hearing test that may be used to help detect autism. A study in the journal Autism Research finds an inner ear deficiency which may be able to identify autism at an earlier age in children. Scientists say most kids with autism are not diagnosed until after age four. The study used miniature microphones to listen for signs of difficulty processing sounds in the ear. The procedure may be implemented in infant screenings because the technique is non-invasive and inexpensive. And finally, here's a new illness to look out for, bagpipe lung. The journal Thorax describes the case of a 61-year-old Englishman who died of respiratory failure. The problem? Fungi contaminating the bagpipes he played every day. The illness may not be as rare as bagpipes, though. Researchers say any wind instrument could be contaminated the same way. And that's Medical Notes this week. More in a moment. This year, parents of 16,000 children in the United States will be told, your child has cancer. Despite significant progress made by St. Jude Children's Research Hospital, which has helped push the overall childhood cancer survival rate from 20 to more than 80 percent since the hospital opened in 1962, cancer remains the leading cause of death by disease for children under the age of 14. So there's still much work to be done, and you can help, according to Richard Shadiak, Jr., President and CEO of ALSAC, the fundraising and awareness organization for St. Jude. September is Childhood Cancer Awareness Month. As a leader in the way the world understands, treats, and defeats childhood cancer and other life-threatening diseases, St. Jude Children's Research Hospital believes that we can end childhood cancer together. With your help, we won't stop until no child dies from cancer. Register, join a team, and fundraise for the kids of St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. Find a St. Jude Walk Run to End Childhood Cancer event in your area and register at stjude.org. That's stjude.org. Thank you for listening to Radio Health Journal, a production of MediaTrax Communications. If you enjoyed this week's show, please leave a review on iTunes or share it with a friend. You can find more Radio Health Journal stories about health, science, and technology on iTunes, Stitcher, and at RadioHealthJournal.net.